Thank you, Alan, and good morning. Yes, my name is Peter Hope. I'm uh, just a member of the congregation and uh, glad to bring God's word to you this morning. The theme I've chosen is, uh, has already been mentioned, this idea of moving on. Moving on in our Christian life and service. And it's based really upon uh, partly my own experience. Um, certainly at the beginning, we've, we thought about starting a new school year. And uh, all of us has, have experienced life at school, so we know um, what that is like. How many of you have uh, children or grandchildren starting this week, perhaps in a reception class? Good. Uh, any here who are going to be starting out at secondary school and they uh, are anxious about how things are going for them? What about anybody going into uh, college, further education, sixth form studies, that kind of thing? Not quite so many there. But uh, John, <laughs> the Lord bless you as you begin uh, serving as a teacher uh, during this week. They're moving on and it's they're moving up in the next stage of their education. I don't often um, speak about myself, but um, let's just go back just a few years. And um, I very clearly remember my first day at school. Does anybody else do that? Yes. Something so traumatic has to register, doesn't it, in your, in your memory. For me, I started at school uh, with a, a little girl called Christine who lived uh, a few doors away from me, and our, our mums took us up to... Uh, our school, and uh, I remember it, not for anything that happened to me, but at the time when the mums had to go, then Christine let everybody know she didn't want her mother to go, and it was a bit of a struggle for her mum to get out of the door while she yelled and yelled, and of course I've never forgotten that. I expect I just quietly got on with whatever there was to do, a sandpit or some water or something exciting like that. But I always remember because of what happened with Christine. I also remember, um, I remember particularly that at the end of every school day, I was always a bit tearful. I think I'm soft-hearted. You know, when they used to say goodbye to the children who were moving on from the school, I went to a combined infant-junior school. So I've watched this many years, children who went out the top end. And I was always very tearful. I thought, our school's never going to be the same again. And then I started to worry, help. When I get there, what am I going to be like? You know, I'm going to be blubbing on the last day and everybody's going to be looking at me. But when I got to the last day, do you know, it didn't worry me one bit because as far as I was concerned, I was the one moving on and moving up. 
I was going to a secondary school. I was going to be only with boys from now on and things of that nature. It would make a, such a big difference to me. I was moving on and I was moving up. I hope you can read the Italic style of writing. I only did this because the head teacher used to come in every week and with just a piece of chalk, he would write in an Italic handwriting perhaps a poem or a, or a famous uh, few lines. And we all had to copy it out in our books. We even bought a special pen, Italic style pen. Now, people say, my handwriting is very clear, and for special occasions, Ursula always gets me to sign the cards because of my italic style. It's developed over the years, but that was because of Mr. Futter. Now, you won't know him, but the children did. Mr. Futter slipped on butter, hit his nutter in the gutter. You know that one? Because they all loved him and he was a butt of their jokes. We're not here to talk about myself. We're to hear God's word and to think about it. And Bev is now going to come and read a section from John's Gospel, the very last chapter of John's Gospel. And hopefully she knows what page it's on. Yes, we're going from page 1090, if you've got a church Bible, and it's John chapter 21. We're starting to read at verse 15, which is a passage entitled, Jesus Reinstates Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for all the books that would be written. Amen. 
Thank you, Bev. Get rid of me fairly quickly. Moving on and moving up. John's Gospel, I have to confess, is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. I love it because they're the words of an eyewitness. They're words of one who was among the first to follow Jesus one of the 12, the 12 men of all the men and women that followed him, the 12 men that he chose particularly to remain with him. More than that, he was one of the inner circle of three that accompanied Jesus on very special occasions and perhaps knew him in, a, in just a, a more intimate, a closer way than some of the others. And he was uh, a witness to the resurrection, to the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. And he writes of himself, he saw and believed as he looked into the tomb, which was empty but for those grave clothes, which looked as though the body had just passed through. He saw and believed. Eventually, he was to suffer for Christ by being put in exile on the Greek island of Patmos. And during his long ministry, he had opportunity to mull over all of his experience of Jesus. And he wrote the gospel that we is uh, named after him. And it's so different from the other three. And it, it, it comes at Jesus from a, a completely different perspective. As the Lord of glory, the, the God-made flesh, and tries to unpack all those experiences that he had of being with Jesus, hearing Jesus, and trying to put it all together... He also wrote three letters, which went out to, to churches generally and were collected. They were mulled over, they were loved, they were appreciated and put together eventually in our scriptures. And, and we believe while he was on that island of Patmos, he had some amazing insights as to what would happen at the end of all things. And he wrote the book of Revelation that we've got right at the back, a very difficult book to understand, to follow, but full of the glories of Jesus Christ and what awaits him and what awaits us. John closes his gospel with an outline of the third time when Jesus met with his disciples after he was raised from the dead. We somehow perhaps get the impression that once he appeared, he stayed with them over a period of time. But no, it seems to be very rare. It was like the first time, the day that he rose from the dead, he appeared. 
A week later, he appears another time, and at some indeterminate time, he appears a third time. And it's while they've all been at a, at a, a fruitless, if you can call it fruitless when you're fishing, uh, fishing night. Okay, they've caught nothing. Seven of them, seven of the 12, had decided to head out. It was Peter's idea that they should go fishing. And they'd met with not a single bite all night. And in the morning, there was a stranger appeared on the shore who called out to them, you know, have you caught anything? No, they said, it's, you know, not been worth going out tonight. And he says, well, just put the nets over the other side. And suddenly, what a commotion, the net is full. And the whole thing suddenly changes from being a night where not a single fish has, has bitten, and now they've got a whole net full. And John, John, well, it took him some while, but he says, that's the Lord. That's the Lord again. And Peter, impetuous Peter, is off as fast as he can get out of the boat, into the water. It's fairly shallow, but he heads for the shore, leaves the others to bring in. Only when Jesus says, come on, bring some of the fish you've caught for our breakfast. Only then does Peter go back to the others and do his bit on pulling the net to shore. They even counted them, 153, there were so many. That was the context, the third time that Jesus had met with them. And it was there that we begin to have a conversation between Jesus and Simon Peter. I don't know whether he pulled him slightly to one side. I suspect it was a slightly awkward meeting, in a sense. You know, when you've got to speak to someone about something, you've got to clear the air with them in some way. And it's slightly embarrassing. You don't know how to start. Well, that's the conversation that Simon Peter needed to have with Jesus. Because earlier, do you remember this conversation that uh, Peter had? Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Bold words, courageous words. And Jesus said to him at the time, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I just want to highlight those words, I tell you the truth. Again, this is something special about John's gospel. He's the only one who uses a particular phrase, puts it on Jesus' lips, not once, not twice, but 25 times throughout the gospel. It's using the Greek word amen twice, which emphasizes it, amen, amen. It means what I'm going to say is now something quite serious, 
something important, something which I want you to grasp hold of. And Jesus said to, to Simon Peter on this occasion, I'm telling you something now which is of great significance to you. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And of course, that is exactly what happened. He'd professed his loyalty, his undying loyalty. No, he would even go to death for Jesus' sake. But he failed, not once, not twice, but three times. He denied having anything to do with Jesus. And this wasn't at the point of a sword with a Roman soldier looking down upon him. This was because a servant girl had humored him, perhaps a few jibes. Haven't I seen you with Jesus? Aren't you one of them? And he denies it. He denies it with oaths. But of course, as soon as the rooster crowed a second time, he realized that the words of Jesus had been so true and he had failed. And he shed bitter tears. And to now meet that Jesus, the one he had denied, now alive. He'd seen him die and now here he was alive. There was that awkwardness of conversation that Jesus now opens up with those familiar words, asking now, Peter, do you love me? Peter needs to move on from denial to some new work. And it's not simply moving on, it's a moving up because he's given something else to do. Oh yes, he was going to serve Christ, he was going to be prepared to die for him, but what does Jesus want of him? Feed my lambs. Look after the others. Care for them. Guide and direct them. And of course he asks a second time. And, and Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Then again, the repetition is, I'll get there in a minute, feed my sheep. That's what I want you to do. And then it's the third time. The third time where he not only says, yes, feed them, but he wants to go on and say a little more. Again, you see the words, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, that could be a picture of anybody's old age, couldn't it? 
There'll be a time, Peter, when you're going to rely on other people far more than you have before. But it can't be just that, can it? Because that's true of anyone. I tell you the truth. This is something of greater significance. Perhaps it doesn't come across too well for us in our English uh, version, but it's, it's those words, you will stretch out your hands, which are the significant ones. It doesn't mean simply you'll stretch out so someone can put a coat on you. It means you will stretch out your hands in crucifixion. This was the path for Peter. And though it's not recorded in the scriptures, we do understand from other sources that Peter indeed was crucified. That's how he followed Christ at the end. But he chose not to be like his Lord, but to be crucified upside down. So he had to move on and also to move up. First to, to look after the others, to teach the others, to instruct the others, but then the higher calling to lay down his life. Yes, he had said he would, and now, Peter, I'm warning you, the time will come when you will lay down your life for me. So he had denied three times. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to put you in the same position and I'm going to test you on that very same thing until for three times you say <laughs> that you're a follower of mine. It wasn't the same test. It took him on to something a stage higher, more advanced. And there are times when you and I, in our service for Christ, if we are believers this morning, then we will be asked to do things and we will fail. And he doesn't necessarily ask us to go back and do that again. But he will challenge us to a greater level of commitment and ask us, okay, you failed on that, but now trust me for the next part of your service, which I am calling you to fulfill. There's a challenge to loyalty, and that challenge comes to us as well. Now, where's that gone? Sorry, I'm, uh, oh, yeah, sorry, I, I did need that. Then he follows that up again by simply saying, follow me. He repeats the words he gave to him right at the beginning. Follow me. Keep on following me. But then there is a complication in the story because I don't know whether this is Peter all over again. Not content to hear Jesus' words about himself. I've got a suspicion, actually. He hasn't quite taken on board what Jesus has said because he notices John, who records these things, nearby. 
And Peter says, well, what about him, Lord? You know, what's going to happen to him? What have you got planned for him? And Jesus politely says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? It's a polite way of saying, that's none of your business. I have told you, Peter, what I want you to do. And I will tell John what I want John to do. And you do not need to know what I have as a plan for John. And some of us may need to, to take this on board. That we need to recognize, yes, while we're in a body of believers and we work together and we serve together, there are times when God's call upon our lives is so, so personal, so direct, that what he wants me to do is different from what he wants you to do. But somehow, in me being me and you being you, we will be us. <laughs> and we will serve him as we should. So, what is the call upon your life that you know you must fulfill? It will be different from the call upon my life. Peter had to learn, what business is it of yours? So even those of you who are in leadership within this church, who have a responsibility over others, do not neglect your own personal calling, your own need of service to Christ. So in what ways? Oh, what have I missed out now? Oh, and he, he simply says again, I'll, I'll get this right in a minute, you must follow me. Get that right, Peter. You must follow me. And we need that same emphasis uh, said to us. We are moving on and moving up. Is that true for you? What do you need to move on from? Alan prayed for various things at, at communion. About fears that people might have what regrets they might have, what sorrows, what period of life are they in, what difficulties are you experiencing? Are these holding you back in your service? Because you need to move on. Now, how you move on is, in one sense, between you and the Lord. But it may need, mean that some of you might need to ask for professional help. Some of you just may need a brother or sister who's sitting alongside you this morning to come together and chat things through. But you need to move on. Perhaps it'll be a you and God thing alone that through prayer and reading his word, you will move on. But in moving you on, he will want to move you up. He wants to give you another challenge in life, another aspect of service for him, a new commitment 
which will have new challenges, new responsibilities.